0: This episode is brought to you by Tristan da Cunha, the most remote inhabited archipelago in the world. In 1816, the United Kingdom annexed Tristan da Cunha and explained the annexation as a safeguard against allies of Napoleon using the island as a base to free the deposed French dictator from somewhat nearby St. Helena. The island is home to 250 people, all of whom live in the island's only settlement Edinburgh of the Seven Seas, all of whom are descended from 15 outside ancestors who arrived on the island between 1860 and 1908. If you'd like to join the lovely people of Tristan da Cunha in supporting Rabbit Hole, please go to patreon.com slash rabbit hole hello listeners you've arrived at another episode of rabbit hole where we venture down rabbit holes of different intellectual subcultures we've explored is mmt real we've explored is school good and you found yourself now at an episode of is ea right and uh, we are deep into the series now and i'm so glad that we have adley templeton here today thank you adley for coming on Thank you. It's super great to be here. Adley is a machine learning engineer at Cohere, but has told me as a software engineer, she does not care about titles, um, <laughs> which I have seen with many software engineers. It, it's about the work, it's about the craft. <laughs> so, so glad to have you here. You know, we wanted to bring you on the show uh, just to let the listeners know a bit. One, because you've written kind of very interesting about being kind of EA and you know one of the things we're exploring is like the different gradations of intensity of ea ness you know the ea radical extremists the ea moderates you know and so we'd love to explore that we also you know the fact that you're a machine learning engineer can give some of our listeners and ourselves as hosts some insight into one of the big branches of EA, which is should we be worried about AI and machine learning and large language models and the like, which seems to be every other news article this year. Oh, yeah, that's what we've become famous for. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but we love to usually start this out with what is your EA journey? Could you walk us through how did you first find out about this? You know, how did you start engaging with it? How did you become? Someone who looks at machine learning from an EA perspective, someone who explores what it means to be, quote, kind of EA.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because I had a very, very roundabout journey to get to here. So, I mean, I think I've sort of been adjacent to these ideas for a very long time, but really my first foray into EA comes when I was essentially a new grad software engineer working at Facebook, making more money than any 23-year-old should make and just faced with the question of like, okay, what now? What do you do with that? How do you use that to help people? At that point, my involvement in EA was very surface level. I looked around, Googled a bit, found out about EA's talking about donating 10% of your income to global health and well-being charities. Thought, okay, that sounds, that sounds really effective. I can improve people's lives. I can save people's lives for very little actual cost to my own life. And so that just felt like sort of a no-brainer. And I think what's really interesting is at that point, I wasn't really intellectually engaging with the ideas that much, especially not anything on the weirder end of the EA spectrum. Despite the fact that I was working in machine learning, i didn't really look that closely into the EA's ideas about AI. And I just thought this seems like something that is good. I'm going to do this, I'm going to write a check and then I'm not going to think about the problem too much. That feels like an interesting, it's almost like a straw man that gets brought up a lot in the discussions about EA's is the tech worker who wants to feel good about themselves without changing much, so yeah. That was the first part of my journey.
0: <laughs> you know, it's interesting. We're seeing all these different on-ramps. Some people, you know, a good amount are Peter Singer. They saw a Peter Singer speech or read a Peter Singer book. Another good amount, it's so abstract. They they say, I've been grappling with, you know, being a deontologicalist or a or a consequentialist. And I found my people in the neo-consequentialists of EA. And then other people, you know, are coming from this kind of uh, very nice, uh, not that the others aren't nice, but this kind of more down to earth <laughs> way, which is, I got this problem in my life. I want to be a good person. Here's a group of people that have done some thinking on one way to conceive of what a good person would do with the situation that I found myself in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an interesting way of putting it. I would say that's <laughs> a bit generous, but I do think that the there is this really appealing segment of EA that is If you're a fairly rich person in a developed country, you can give away 10% of your income without it affecting your quality of life too much. And that can make a huge impact on people in less rich places. And because of that, I think that that's just a really powerful idea. So that's sort of what drew me in.
0: And what has been your journey since then? Like, have you gone deeper into going to the meetups participating in the forums, reading the other readers. It seems like you've, you've gotten into one of the kind of super themes of EA, which is kind of how to think about AI and machine learning, but, you know, animal welfare, global poor, all these other different areas.
1: Oh, yeah. So for about the past year, I've been sort of going on a rabbit hole of my own where I have been like, I find the ideas very fascinating. I find the ideas very interesting. Some of them very compelling, some of them less so, but to me, it's just been this process of engaging with these weird new out there ideas and way of thinking about things and doing this publicly on Twitter, which is, I guess, what got me invited onto this podcast.
0: (laughs) And, you know, for someone who's outside of the movements if that's the word to use
1: how would you i'd say i'm pretty inside the movement there's almost a joke that oh yes yes (laughs) for
0: someone who is outside of it you're inside of it uh you know we're kind of finding our ways looking in the windows of it for our listeners who are outside of it how would you describe the bounds of it you know this this motley crew of all these different types of people you know with all these different types of on-ramps and all these different types of focuses where would you find the core that binds them all together?
1: I think that the answer that EA sort of wants me to give is that it's an answer to the question of how do you do good better? But I don't find that very persuasive. I don't find that very intellectually honest. I think fundamentally when you're talking about EA, you're talking about a specific community of people who share a same way of looking at things, share a same vibe and come together partially because part of the way of looking at things is how do we help people in the most effective way? But I don't think you can separate the community from effective altruism.
0: Okay. That's interesting. So it's like, and this is something Nathan uh, Young just said to us too. He said, you know, it's mostly a vibe. (laughs) And (laughs) and I appreciated that because, you know, it seems like there are other groups of people who have a different vibe That are also thinking about how to do good better you know if you go to a you know we're from the american left and if you go from a if you go to a dsa meeting they would have a very similar origin story you know i have this power i'm wondering what to do with it i'm thinking that the kind of normie libs are not doing the best and most effective that they can do with it so we need to all come together and actually strike at the root of what's happening in a serious, reasonable way. and um, But it's a totally different vibe at a DSA meeting than it is at a EA meeting. So I don't know, how would you, maybe it is counter to the concept of a vibe, but how would you describe the vibe of EA and how it differs from other vibes?
1: I think that the best way to describe EA is that you have all of this, I hate the word, but quote unquote, rationalist, rationalist stuff, all of the less wrong posts about how to think more effectively and how to fulfill your goals most clearly, combined with the doing good better. And EA, I think, in recent years, isn't entirely centered on the rationalist community, but I think that that's definitely the legacy that you have to you have to look at if you want to understand where this community is coming from and why it's so different from the typical American left movements that you're thinking about.
0: Am I remembering correctly that? I read somewhere that Harry Chapin is kind of part of your story as well.
1: That was just a sappy quote that I put up because I thought that that captured something that I really loved about EA. <laughs> yeah,
0: it, it was, you know, I'll, I'll cue you up for it, but it'd be great for our listeners to hear this, you know, because I think it was very revealing of one of the tenets of EA, which is kind of effectiveness, not in the like smartest, but effectiveness as in actually making a difference. And it was a Harry Chapin quote where it was, my friend had been involved in every cause that matters since fighting fascism in the early 30s. And I'm not sure it made one lick of a difference, but being involved in those causes helps you meet the people that care about the world. And you said you hated this quote. Yeah, tell tell us about that. I hated
1: that so much for years. So yeah. So for context, I should say that I don't want to come on for a podcast and trash talk Harry Chapin because that man was the only music I listened to for a few years in high school. But <laughs> that quote in particular is, I think, one of the things that really bothers me about the movements of people that are doing good better outside of EA. And one of the things that I really love about EA, which is this idea that. Within EA, it's not about fighting the good fight. It's not about feeling like at the end of the day, you've made a difference. It's not about the community of activists that come together and surround you with friendship. It's about making a difference. And I think that really, really constantly focusing on that is one of the amazing things that EA does.
0: You know, I think it'd be a good time to move towards, you know, the specifics of AI And kind of forecasting and long-termism what's it like kind of having this you know ideology being part of the subculture being part of this belief system movement and then being in one of the fields that is a big focus of the movement um what's kind of been your journey in that were you into the field first and then you discovered there was an ea aspect to it were you hearing about the field from EA and then got into the field? What, what's what been your journey of that relationship?
1: I was into the machine learning field and the natural language processing field way before I was involved in EA. And I think that that has given me a really interesting perspective and in some ways a very frustrating perspective because there has been a lot of work, especially work for the past few years from the EA community that is just completely detached from the reality of what machine learning looks like today.
2: I mean, it seems to me like there's a very big gulf right now between a lot of people's fears of anything that could be kind of construed as artificial intelligence or, you know, machines that can think or learn and, you know, the sort of reality of AI or machine learning or what's on the ground right now. And, you know, it seems like there's been so much focus on sort of long-termist ideas or values in EA right now which seem to be based a lot around like threats of artificial intelligence risk in particular i mean there are other things like pandemics too that they're concerned about but you know it seems like it's got everyone very concerned about computers doing things but not necessarily explaining a lot of you know sort of what the roadmap might be there or what is actually kind of happening right now. And, you know, I also don't even know whether like machine learning sort of in general is synonymous with AI in kind of this general sense, or if it's a different sort of field or if that shouldn't be compared or it's made us kind of have a harder time of, you know, (laughs) understanding this whole debate because, you know, Pete and I do not have a background in computers uh, particularly.
0: I mean, I, I shouldn't speak for Pete, but I definitely don't. I don't. Please enlighten us, Adley. What is the, you know, why does it frustrate you? What do people see wrong in EA, and what do people see wrong, kind of generally about your field?
1: So I think that the first thing I'd like to say is just that over the past two years, especially, especially with the recent large language models that have been coming out, I think that the AI debate within EA and within the less wrong posters has been much more grounded in empirical reality. And I think we are starting to bridge that gap. And I'm definitely not going to say that this means that we should dismiss all of the fears of artificial general intelligence safety. But yeah, there's a few things to respond to. So let me just take them one at a time. Sounds good. First Is that It is true that what EA is concerned about is pretty detached from what's going on in machine learning, because what EA is concerned about is not what's happening now, but what could happen 5, 10, 20, 30 years into the future. And I think that that definitely makes it a bit hard to do useful work, but it's still definitely a good thing to be concerned about stuff that's going to happen in 10 or 20 years and problems that may arise then especially when there's some reason to believe that we might not get a lot of chances to tackle these problems when they come up
0: and you know what are some of the other responses too we can go through each of them
1: well i could talk for a very long time about how people use the words artificial intelligence and machine learning but <laughs> tell us
0: you know tell us a bit you know we'll cut it off if it looks like it's it's going too deep but but tell us a bit you know one of the goals of rabbit hole is by going into these subcultures, you know, we our first series was called Is MMT Real? And, you know, it starts with this kind of theory of what we should do with interest rates. And suddenly we're in an episode talking about like 13th century coin technology. Um, and so one of our goals with kind of is EA is, you know, we want to explore the different sub rabbit holes that folks can get down with this. So what is like a layman uh, uh, get wrong about calling machine learning AI, which I probably did in the intro. So um, how would you you, uh, divide each for our listeners?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the short answer is that the definitions are fuzzy and mostly based on what vibe you're trying to convey. I think that (laughs) historically, the word artificial intelligence has often been used to hype up machine learning models that are not more sophisticated than basic statistical techniques, because the word artificial intelligence and the word neural networks, which is an awful, awful term, gets people really excited.
0: Okay. So one factor is you have the grifters using the words in fuzzy ways to, or the boosters, if we want to be nice to them, using the words in fuzzy ways to try to sell the latest thing then I assume you have the journalists who are wanting an exciting story, and then I assume you have the like super skeptics who want to you know scaremonger with it and is is that a is that a the start of a map of kind of how these words become fuzzy?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the start of the map. I mean, would you invest in a company that sells artificial intelligence or a company that sells machine learning like there's a pretty big difference in how excited people get yeah. <laughs>
0: One of the interesting things is I assume uh are are you out in San Francisco?
1: I am in Seattle, actually.
0: Oh, in Seattle. Okay. Well, in in the kind of tech worlds that you run in professionally, it seems that EA has, you know, a strong hold on these places. You know, it's it's coming up in those parts of the country you know, the Seattles, the San Franciscos, the Bostons, and we're seeing it kind of in that community as a as a popular belief system there. And I'd be interested in, you know, what is the vibe of like how popular EA is, how constant the talk about like long-termism and X-risk is among the kind of technology community on the West Coast?
1: My sense is that it's much less in Seattle than it is in San Francisco. I think it's almost shocking how little ideas about the future of artificial intelligence get talked about by the people doing technical on-the-ground machine learning stuff. And I think that that's the shame for both directions of
0: the conversation. Is this partially why you call yourself kinda EA? Because in some ways you want some of the non-EAers to think a little bit more like it, and you want the some of the EAers to get back. You know, I've seen writing you've done on wanting them to get back to the roots of the old school EAs. Which started with compassion for the global poor, as opposed to kind of philosophy class. So I'd be interested in you know where you find yourself in the middle of this. Yeah, I
1: don't. I think that I want to that I want to necessarily focus only on the global health and well being stuff. I think that the tweet that I wrote that you're probably thinking of is that the more weirder parts of EA to me are only meaningful and only good when they first start with a very deep concern for all of the people that are suffering in horrible conditions today, really emotionally and intuitively root themselves in that. I think that in certain cases, the most effective thing you can do is some of this more rude looking stuff. And I think in certain cases, the most effective thing you can do may actually be to focus on AI killing all of us. people working in tech like to get excited about technology and like to think about things that excite them and they don't like to think about the global poor and i think if you get too deep into that hole then you're going to have some problems
2: yeah i mean it seems to me like beyond just yeah the tech people like thinking about tech related problems it also seems like and maybe this is wrong and you know i'm ignorant of the territory here but it also seems like the threat of AI killing us all, you know, what people seem to talk about there is mostly technical solutions as well, right? Where, you know, you can try to create some sort of government's model or put in sort of rules or behavior to, you know, make sure that the the artificial intelligence that might, you know, rival human intelligence or agency will, you know, think in a way that can coexist with us and not try to turn us all into paperclips or whatever. Whereas it seems like problems of global poverty and some, of, perhaps some of the other EA focus issues, you know, kind of have to do more with solutions that are not just technical. Like if you want to convince people to stop factory farming, you know, it seems like you're going to have to hit up against politics and convincing people to go vegan or, more so than just finding a new miracle food source that uh, will replace everyone's desire
1: to eat chicken. You
2: know, is that a fair assessment? No,
1: I'd almost say that I wish people thought more about the political ramifications and the economic ramifications about artificial general intelligence. I think that there are also, I don't want to dismiss the very serious technical alignment issues, but honestly, I think that there are also going to be political science issues and economics issues around what it makes for a technology, this, what it means for technology, this powerful to come into existence. And I think that because of the dynamic you mentioned, those issues don't, they get some amount of play in the EA community, but probably not as much as they should.
0: What are in kind of the world of the constellation of AI and machine learning and these new technologies. What are you worried about? I think
1: that I am somewhat worried about the typical EA scenario of unaligned AI killing all of us. I think that EAs like to give probabilities for subjective beliefs. So I think I'm going to succumb to that and say that, you know, I think there's probably a 5% chance of that happening, which is pretty big and somewhat worth worrying about, even though it's much less than some other people would say.
0: Is there something about what you've seen from the inside, what you've seen from the inside of the field that makes you kind of be that worried about it? Yeah. I
1: think that the fundamental thing behind the alignment problem, once you get past all the thought experiments, is that controlling it in an AI system is hard and controlling it in a very robust way that stands out to out of distribution challenges and functions in a very different test environment than its training environment is hard. And I do think it's plausible that at some point we're going to make AI systems that, if we can't control them, have a decent chance of killing everybody on the planet. So (laughs) at some point, at some point, we should probably solve that challenge.
0: (laughs) Do you have any hope that we can solve that challenge? Like, what is the most promising route uh, you've seen so far in terms of kind of keeping this contained?
1: I have a lot of hope that we can solve that challenge. And that's why that's why my number is at 5%, because I think that this is a challenge that's going to require people from across the AI community coming together and finding good solutions to a lot of hard technical problems. But I think that we probably have a lot of time and people are, care about this. And I think that we probably will do that. There there are a lot of technical approaches specifically that I find promising. There's a lot of really cool stuff that's been going on over the past two years with interpretability and with reinforcement learning from human feedback. And I think what these things have in common is that in the age of large language models, all of a sudden you could see people start to do empirical on the ground technical work. Towards alignment of these models, and there's still a lot to go. But in the past few years, they've made a lot of progress on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it does seem like just that act of bringing people together, probably from different uh, research interests, and getting people to collaborate on these solutions. You know, that is a political question in some way. You know, it's a question of. Organizing people to create the technological solutions and to share their research. And, you know, that's always been fascinating to me as a, you know, I, in my undergrad years in college, I studied history of science and, you know, they kind of convinced us that, you know, every technological breakthrough is a political breakthrough and vice versa. And, you know, so much of it is just kind of getting the right people in the room and getting them to, you know,
1: get aside their intellectual differences. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of that stuff that I would love to see more smart social scientists people focus on, especially because I think that the attitude around artificial general intelligence is going to be something that is likely very different from any technology that we've made before. And I think because of that, we don't really know what it's going to look like. I haven't seen a convincing scenario for what this is going to look like. And I'd like some smart political science people to tell me what that's going to look like.
0: And you said in the last two years, the less wrong EA community has gotten more aligned with the reality you're seeing on the ground of what's happening in the technology. Can you give us, you know, we're very interested in the like sociology of these subcultures that we look at you know how did that knowledge eventually spread how did a group that was not thinking right about something suddenly become grounded in a reality what did you see that was promising that worked yeah i think that the biggest thing is that
1: the reality sort of caught up with what people were talking about to not completely but to a small extent and it caught up to them and i think it very different way than any of the theory would have predicted. And I think that says a lot about the validity of theory. But after GPT-3, within the past few years, there has been actual empirical alignment work that you could do with these large language models that does seem very meaningful. Whereas if you're a Lesser on Coaster in 2010, and you want to think, how do I align an AI system? You don't have anything that looks anything close to an artificial general intelligence system. So you can't really sort of start to wrap your head around that problem. And you have to sort of guess, if I had an artificial general intelligence, what would it look like? And I think that's usually when you start to get really off the rails.
0: You know, as we move towards wrapping up, is there anything, are there, is, are there things promising in EA that you're excited about, that you're seeing trends that are moving in the right direction? Are there things you're concerned about in EA that you're hoping there's less of? You know, What's your read of the movement as of right now?
1: I'm really excited about the growth that EA has seen over the past few years. I think that there's a lot more people that EA is getting its message out in front of. And I think that that is so probably... Pretty net good. I think, in terms of things to be concerned about, I think you have all of the typical problems that you've been seeing when you have a community that is mostly founded by Silicon Valley tech bros. And I think that those tensions have really come to light over the past few years. And that's something that I'm a bit worried about in all of the obvious, obvious scandals that have been popping up all over the news.
0: You know, I'm from a world that's kind of outside the tech bro land, and there's a lot of, i I think a lot of people from my world would be like i could not even work with them at all (laughs) Um, and i'm interested in but you know i'm from subcultures where they we kind of are or originate in the american lefty subculture and there are personality types that exist in all subcultures That everyone rolls their eyes at and they're like classic person that comes to these types of meetings, classic way that they talk to other people, classic fights they get in, but also classic virtues as well that they're good at. It's
2: hard to criticize uh, less wrong, you know, debate forums for being pedantic or, uh, you know, focusing too much on, you know, figures of speech or something when, you know, you could go to a DSA meeting and see people probably doing the same thing about different exegesis of Karl Marx. As yeah. They haven't
0: read the, the, the fourth <laughs> Brumaire, you know, whatever it is. Sorry. <laughs> and, and you're, you're talking about the wrong branch of Marxism or something. And so I'm just interested in how you think about navigating all the personality types of the subculture.
1: Yeah. The thing that I find really the most dangerous is the hero worshiping and the cult of genius vibe that I think is very easy to get carried away with in this effective altruism stuff. You know, I think that nerds playing status games is a very, very dangerous thing. And the more you've sort of grown up in these nerdy subcultures, the more you recognize that, and the more you have to, at some point, just run away screaming whenever anybody tries to start playing those status games.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting point there. I know we've seen some... on the sidelines, I've noticed some debates among EAs recently about, you know, how much of your time and your effort as an effective altruist should be spent towards, you know, publicizing EA and, you know, should you be perhaps giving money to like the Center for Effective Altruism or these orgs that are using your money to promote EA rather than using the money to buy bed nets or, you know, fund pandemic research or fund AI research or what have you and you know i think some people have seen that as like uh well are we you know are we abstracting away from directly doing good by doing things to promote other people doing good or raise awareness you know and and i certainly there's been legitimate critique of other you know traditional charity movements in america that you know where they raise a bunch of money and what they do is spread awareness rather than, say, funding research. And, you know, that's rightfully criticized in some ways. But, you know, the way you're talking, it also makes me maybe see another way into it where perhaps it is a good thing to try to publicize movements more, maybe because it also might bring in people who are, you know, maybe not the Silicon Valley nerds who might already be predisposed to it or might already exist in a subculture that might get you associated with effective altruism faster, you know, and then maybe those people who come from different perspectives might have something else they can bring or maybe be able to translate the goals or the mission statement of the movement in a way that's maybe more palatable to a bigger tent. I mean, is that, I don't know if, if this is something you feel you can speak on, but, you know, does that seem like a thing effective altruists are interested in or are people saying, well, no, we need to keep it with our kind of silo. We need to make sure that this idea of effective altruism as we understand it is pure and that we stay rationally focused. We stay, you know, we, we don't want to normalize it too much.
1: I'm pretty conflicted on that. I think on one hand, if you want to cost-benefit analysis of increasing the marketing for your pyramid scheme. It's always gonna look pretty good. And I think that (laughs) the cost of, there are some very rosy cost effectiveness analyses of EA community building that just start to look an awful lot like a pyramid scheme. I do think that one thing that I'm very excited about is people taking the ideas of effective altruism and spreading them and creating new, somewhat distinct subcommunities that have a different vibe. that are, you know, I think in particular sub-communities that are more centered on the vibe of the American left and more appealing to people in those communities, but who carry forward some of the good ideas of you can donate some of your money to help the global poor and you can do a lot of good like that.
0: You know, I'd love to end on, um, you know, what, you know, so much one thing we've discovered is some people see that kind of a, their participation in EA like verges on the religious in the sense that it is thing that kind of, orients how they see the world. It orients how they see their existence in the world. It orients how they see their cosmic relationship to other people and to the future. And they, it has kind of conversion experiences of things. And i just love to hear if that resonates with your experience with EA at all. And yeah, I guess I'll just leave it at that.
1: I don't think I'm quite that devoted to EA is the short <laughs> way to put it. <laughs> I definitely do. I definitely do see what you mean. And I know people like that in the community. I think I'm not sure whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's it's a bit
0: of both. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything that we haven't asked about that you think our listeners should know about either EA or machine learning or, or the like? Yeah, that's a good question.
1: I think, I think really the biggest thing that I would like to stress is that the EA takes on artificial intelligence are no longer just less wrong style thought experiments. I think that they are very quickly moving in the direction of much more applied, useful, empirical work. And I think that it's, that's just a common misconception that I see that I want to
0: push back on a bit. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, we see that a lot with a lot of groups is that people, we saw this with our MMT series where people said, you know, oh you're arguing with a vulgar mmt we've thought about all these things over the last five years and you know that sounds like it's a cop-out but i actually think like there is often the case that the group that is thinking about the criticisms of it or the simplicity of it is the group itself um, and there's often kind of internal progress that the rest of us are a few years behind and seeing um, and so that's very interesting to bring up well adley templeton thank you so much for coming on Rabbit Hole been a very enlightening conversation. And uh, I know we appreciate it. And I know our listeners will appreciate it too. Anything you want to plug any website, any Twitter handle? Yeah, follow me
1: at eigengender on Twitter. And I guess the other thing I would like to plug is just that with all of this discussion about EA to once again, restate that you can have an enormous impact by donating a small percentage of your income. And I think that community drama side, that's something that's worth considering.
0: Amen.
2: Dan, any final word? No, uh, thank you for that. Um, we appreciate this conversation and uh, no, thanks so much for uh, for talking with us.
0: And onward listeners, we'll see you next time down the rabbit hole.
2: Rabbit hole podcast is produced by Dan Thorne. Theme music is by Danny Bradley. If you enjoyed this episode of rabbit hole, please, please subscribe. Support us at patreon.com slash rabbit hole podcast help us keep all of our episodes open to everyone we can't do it without you if you didn't enjoy this episode of rabbit hole try another episode maybe we had an off day